The Woman King, an incredible story of the Agoje female warriors that existed in the Dahomey Kingdom in the late 1800s uh, that defended their African home. And uh, they were an elite squad of warriors. And this is loosely based on true facts. And uh, the kingdom and the warriors must come to grips with what they are doing as a country and what they must do to save their future. We have some landmines during this conversation that we will get to uh, shortly. There's controversy that goes with the Woman King. But first, let's introduce ourselves and get some initial takes on The Woman King, starring Viola Davis. Boys, I believe we just saw an Oscar-winning performance. I agree. Uh, I can't argue. (laughs) No lies detected whatsoever. But I am interested to hear who you guys think is is the Oscar winner in this film because there are so many great performances in it. There's some there's some obvious yeah. choices, but then there's some not so obvious possibilities. This is Tuso Bedu's theatrical debut, and I can honestly say it's the most impactful acting performance I've seen probably since Tandy Way Newton in Crash back in 2004. Wow, it's it's impressive. It was heavy. It was spectacular. The character development for her character in particular was amazing. And she played every ounce of the character to the point where it was believable from the moment she was on screen. I, I was completely blown away. I know we'll get to other things, but I was completely blown away by her performance. I have not stopped thinking about her and her character since leaving the theater. Just absolutely tremendous. Justin Bradford. As Gover said, I, this there's, there's awards just based throughout so much of this, not just in the cast, but costume design set so many things uh music i think is is an opportunity here too and it's it's early for award season when you think about films coming out because it's about two months before you start getting those award season types of movies but if this is kicking it off then it's kicking it off very strongly uh with with what should be considered for so many different awards because one you have a an extremely strong lead of ola davis as naniska it's not just the acting performance, but it comes out that she's doing her own stunts as well. She's doing so much to fully embody this character that she is that she's performing as. Uh, and then Tuso Bedu, uh, Lashana Lynch, Sheila Atim. There's so many. This the casting of this film was just perfectly done, and how each one of them fit together so well throughout. With the chemistry you could see on the screen, the way it develops even further throughout the film. And even John Boyega's portrayal of King Gezo is is phenomenal because he's having to portray something that is slightly historical, but also very much changed as we're going to further discuss as we get deeper into this. But that we see some forms of society being ahead and plenty of forms of society being behind as portrayed in this film. But for a king to be listening in this time period to a woman as a leader to have his ear to help make decisions for the kingdom is pretty phenomenal. But past that, the action sequences, the the story that it tells, the empowerment that is displayed on film is what is really drawn from me to so many things. And the fact that while there's loose base of facts in this, that they still try to have a message of what is right and what is wrong and what should have been, if anything, too. How sure. history should have been changed. Uh, so... There are 
no real heroes in this as well, too, that, that we see. But it, it is something that you have to experience before you form a, an opinion. I truly do think that, that you have to see the film and then form an opinion. I yeah. left the movie theater just overcome with different emotions because you feel so many emotions as you're watching this from from wanting to you know pump your fist and raise your fist to to sadness to you're questioning so many different things to just having just so many ranges of emotions it's difficult to Mm -hmm. put into words of what the movie makes you feel because you do over the two-hour period feel deep connections to so many characters and the struggles they may have went through or what they overcome throughout it as well too so i felt a deep connection to it and how i just overall enjoyed the film the way it was put together and i just wish there was some more marketing behind it yeah it really was a film that has just kind of popped out of nowhere without a lot of studio marketing behind it uh this is jim chandler i was at the movie theater and there are sometimes when i'm watching a movie and i'm not sure whether am i seeing something special is this something really special beyond like i'm going to remember this one for a while there was no doubt while I was watching The Woman King, I'm watching something special. Uh, this movie is going to be uh, compared by everybody to movies like Braveheart and Gladiator. And those are great comparisons. But let this movie sit on its own. Uh, yes, it has all the best elements of those films. Uh, the action sequences, you know, from... You know, Gladiator to 300, uh, the gore level was enough to make your adrenaline rush, but it wasn't gratuitous. Uh, The parts of the movie that are not battle scenes are just as compelling because the emotional drama and conflicted nature of the characters and what they're going through uh, was equally as compelling as the incredible action scenes that I saw. So. You know, walking out of that theater, I just knew this is a special movie. Braveheart and Gladiator, two movies that you just brought up, are both horrifically inaccurate. Exactly. And so... That is a perfect jumping point. Oh, thank you. That was completely <laughs> accidental. But. <laughs> to let's address the controversies of The Woman King. We'll do it for a couple of minutes here, and then we shall move on and give this movie its due. Some of the uh, criticisms of this movie, one of the large ones that I've seen from many different camps, is the historical inaccuracies. T- trying to uh, you know, bring this movie down before even seeing it, a lot of these reviews were coming from people who just watched the trailer. Which is... Ridiculous. Right. Ridiculous. It's so mentally immature yeah. uh, that you have to... Like, actually, if you're going to be intellectually honest, you have to go see this movie and then discuss what you're talking about. As a side note, we sat in this very room and talked about how stupid it was for people to judge the Kenobi series on the on three episodes. Yes. Okay. So, and they watched three episodes, not just a trailer. <laughs> yeah. So, let's let's talk about that. Like, how, how dumb is it? Yeah, to you take a trailer and judge the whole movie. It's ridiculously stupid. So, I want to take just a segment here from Screen Crush. Okay. So I enjoy watching, but this is a story on ScreenCrush.com. Mm-hmm. But unlike the trailer, the film itself doesn't actually include any sort of title card claiming it is a work of historical fiction. That's true. And it's also worth noting that saying something is based on true events, quotes, is not quite the same as saying something that is based on a true story. Technically speaking, the Amityville horror is based on true events, 
The story that the film version tells, though, is clearly a work of fiction. There is a way to to disseminate this. There's a way to separate the things out here that you have to in order to enjoy the film and see what is portraying. Because diving even deeper into it, we're dealing with slavery. And we're dealing with how... African kingdoms sold their own people that maybe weren't their own people people in their kingdom, but they were their own people from Africa. We're selling them to white men from Portugal, from Britain, the United States of America, and, and selling their own people. And getting wealthy trade. doing And it. getting wealthy doing They're making money yes. on selling their own people. And the Dahomey kingdom was just at the epitome of doing this in actual true historical events. They were, they they were, were known the t- as the most friendly to this practice. Yes. That's who you're going to go see if you're going to Africa. Yes. And so it doesn't address it in that form, but it does say that they address it, how the king got rich. King Gezo, he got rich. The, the Portuguese say, this is how you got rich, man. Yeah. Like, hey, don't, don't separate now. You, this, is, this is how your wealth came to be of doing this. You, you better not leave it. As it is. They fully acknowledge that, yes, the reason that they are still a kingdom and are getting along is because they are, they're fully into the plan of this is, uh, we, we have a product to sell. It is human beings. And if we do this enough, we can become wealthy and maybe under the illusion of we can also maintain our own kingdom. So, yeah, they're, uh, uh, they address it in the movie. It's not completely what it was historically, but if you're going to go down the route of it's got to be historically accurate, you're going to be able to rip it apart if it's even remotely somewhat based on something true. And if you want to get a little more philosophical, I mean, art and movies and the stuff, yes, it's entertainment, but it also tells us something about the humankind, right? So if you were going to tell somebody about human beings and what it means to be human and you brought them to a library would you go to just the history section written by the victors or would you also bring them to shakespeare does shakespeare while not rooted in historical facts tell us something about the human existence of course it does absolutely does so this is what i don't read that's an incredible point jim it's telling a story of human existence and if you are hung up on it's got to be perfectly historically accurate you're this is not the movie for you if you want something completely historical accurate go watch apollo 11 exactly go watch a documentary documentary yes films and works of art in general okay books whatever tv shows whatever there's an element of imagination and fantasy in them that's why they're that's why we're drawn to them as humans, because there's a there's a level of, well, what if it happened this way? Or right. what if this character did this? Yes. That's also in the factual part, right? Like yes. JFK, the Oliver Stone magnificent masterpiece is not entirely accurate, even though it takes, it, it holds a American president's death and shows it vividly yes. throughout the whole film. The whole premise of the movie is based around an actual event that happened, and you can still go back and be like, well, that didn't really happen, and they didn't really have that conversation, and that didn't really happen, and this person didn't really wake up during this piece of news. and like It's, right. it's to create a compelling story a- around something that is familiar. Yes. We, they do have to put butts in seats, and they have to make it digestible for, sure. for an audience. So bringing up your point and further going with that as well, too. With JFK? It's... 
it, no, on, oh. on the historical accuracy. Sorry, I talk deciding, JFK all day. No, 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 to go <laughs> in that route. But think about decision-making processes that have to take place when writing, producing, mm-hmm. directing. But there was a conscious choice made on the direction here because we go further into what Naniska was doing that trying to convince King Gezo to end the slave trade. So this is a fictional character yes. that has the ear of the king. Yes. She is who, the... was a tr- who was a real person. The king was a real person. Right. Nisk is b- loosely based off of a person that was observed by the French. Right. No real interaction or historical, completely fictional character. Yes. But, she ha- but in the film, she has the ear of the king and even becomes the woman king. Spoilers at the end of the film, <laughs> it's named the Woman King. I'd hope you pick up on that. No, but, I, I want to get to that later, actually. So, yeah. but in this as well as she's pushing to end the slave trade with her kingdom, is also trying to come up with another reason of what they can do to maintain their wealth, which is up in production of palm oil. Like that's these are like understories, yes, that are being told about what she is trying to do as a leader for her kingdom, but is completely false in terms of history. But it's what they're doing to build the character. You know, it's not like it never happened in history. Uh, we've had presidents who were the generals that won wars for our right. country. So there is plenty of precedent for a wise military leader, which uh, Viola Dar- Davis's character leading the Agoji all-female fierce tribe uh, has won the respect of the Dahomey Kingdom or a president who has won a world war for us. And we realize that, you know, their judgment means something to all of us, and we have mad respect for them. I bring all that up to say, to bring as a discussion to the group, why, when they're producing films like this, is there a basis to put butts in seats to have it loosely, and I mean loosely based on historical events, instead of coming up with a complete work of fiction? Is it better to have it loosely based, or do you come up with... A fake kingdom that didn't have anything to truly do with it. Like, okay, I'll bring this up. This is completely different. It's in the superhero universe, but Wakanda is not a real country. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But absolutely. it is in Africa, which is a real continent, where you have the majority of the people there are black yep. in Africa. So there's some tie to what Wakanda is supposed to represent, even though it's not real. So my, the question I'm asking for discussion is, in the process of creating these films, why does someone choose to have something loosely based that could be triggering instead of coming up with something completely fiction? Is it to purely put butts in seats? Is it to have something to base your story off of and build off of? What is the what is the reason behind this? I'm not saying right or wrong. It's more of a discussion point because I think sure. it's worthy of discussion. It's because half of a storyteller's work is to get people to buy into the characters, right? Yeah. And if you can bring them halfway there with things that are maybe half real or at least relatable. Right. Like you wouldn't mm-hmm. if uh, 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 unless your story was supposed to be about somebody overcoming odds, you wouldn't write a, a story about a surfer from Kansas. Right. right? I mean, you know, you would, he's a Californian or he's Hawaiian. You, you or to all the Kansas surfers. Out yes. There. Yeah. Yes. All seven oh, of you. Gosh. So the, <laughs> most of our audience. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so but so the stereotype, of course, is that. There's a there are surfers in California and Hawaii and blah blah blah. So you would probably base your story with if you're creating it from scratch, it would be Devin from Santa Monica, and that's your and that's your surfer sure. in your story. Okay, so you're bringing the audience halfway there without doing any work. All you're doing is naming the character and telling where they're from. So to Bradford's point, 
that's where I fall on that. Is the reason that Wakanda Forever is located in Africa and not Asia or just well, you know whatever is because contextually it makes sense. Yeah, they're, mm-hmm. it's it's bringing the audience halfway to investing in the characters without trying. The alternate timeline, you know, is part of this, and and it it jives with your question here. How do we feel, or how would we approach telling people whether it's based on a true story or true events? I think transparency is absolutely the key. And I don't know if they achieved it in the marketing of this movie, which was minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you see in the trailers, you, you see, you know, inspired by uh, true events or true stories is I would rather say this is historical fiction. OK, this is based on a time in history, but we have created a story within that time. And this may not be the actual story. Uh, and we have given that grace to so many other films. Yep. Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. You know, they kill Hitler. Uh, do we say that that movie uh, should be completely dismissed because it's not based on true events? Well, it was placed in a true event era, but it just took uh, a, a special story that somebody uh, created that was, you know, pretty darn interesting. So does that bring up this point now then, is this film going to receive more criticism simply because it's black women leading the way? That'd be subjective for us to say, I think. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of people that won't say that they're, uh, you know, maybe not going to see this movie because of that. Uh, And they have no right to judge it. Right. You don't have a right to judge it if you didn't see it. Right. Um, And I tell you the truth. for people who did see the movie, at least from my perspective, that blew the misconception that uh, a black woman or a group of black women can carry a movie and make it just, I mean, a crowd pleaser, phenomenal film. I think it'll change people's minds, but they have to see it. Great action sequences. I mean, they were you know, tremendous. That's why it's getting comparisons to other historical fiction movies is because some great fight scenes, but it's the quiet moments for me that really stood out when they have the one-on-one moments of really feeling a deep connection of characters forming that sisterhood. So yes, you have yes. your action sequences, you have so much more, but it's the, the feeling where you where it's so quiet in the movie theater, not even popcorn crunching, nothing, but those quiet, quiet moments where you feel deep connections to characters are what really stood out to me the most in this film. Viola Davis is a producer on The Woman King. Mm-hmm. And uh, from all the interviews I saw with her and the other cast members, she plays the leader of the Agoji, but she was also the leader of this cast. And they all talked about how they, they followed her lead. Viola Davis is an A-list Oscar-winning actress. We expected her, I think, to do a phenomenal job with those meaningful, emotional, quiet scenes. And then when she also shows that she is a warrior willing to fight or die, we saw Viola Davis's acting abilities go to another level we didn't even know she had. And it was tremendous. I really love the ensemble that they put together Tusu Bedu who plays Nawi she's the you know kind of I don't know what you want to say incorrigible young has to constantly be corrected she's you know got no choice but to 
fight in this all-female tribe, this movie is about agency and the women in this culture and in many cultures today, including our own, their choices are limited. They do not have agency of where they can go. These people can either be sold in this movie, they can be abandoned, or they can take some control of their life and join this warrior tribe, give up a lot, never take uh, you know, uh, a husband, uh, never take a family, but then they become a family and become, and that's where I think, let's take the female part about it, this, out of it. Anybody who has served in the military or has respect mm. for somebody who ser- serves in the military is going to see all the themes that I think we know are in real life. When somebody fights together, they are your family. Nobody else understands the life that they lead, so they only have each other. And because of that, incredible drama happens. It's another one of those subplots, Nawe and Naniska being related, which the reveal for this is more, again, on Viola Davis's acting chops. You see her portrayal on screen that, yes, she's, this, she's a general, she's a warrior, but when she's realizing that the horror that happened to her in her past is now being brought right back in front of her. Full circle. Full circle. The emotions that are captured on her face, trying to put that all together, while also, you could tell, trying to be aware of Nawe's feelings through yeah. this too. Like, all this realization is just making me just fully appreciate Viola Davis's acting performance even more because yeah, it's not just a warrior. It's not just the woman king. It's now a mother but a mother associated by rape. And the slave trade. And the slave trade. The the emotions that you see her portray on screen is just absolutely incredible. And whether it's something that was predictable or not, it's still, you feel so much of a connection to it that it still pulls at you. This movie has had me thinking since I left the theater, right? Which is a sign of a good film. Yeah. Um, I will just address this one thing and just say that the woman king, Bradford joked earlier about, well, I hope you figured it out. It's a woman, you know, it's Viola Davis' character. <laughs> I assumed it was Viola Davis's character. Yes. From the trailer, right? When's that going to happen? When's that anointment going to happen? But I started to think about all these different things. Like, when is it going to happen? Is the king going to die? And then the community rallies around her and vaults her. Right. And make, How sends her happen? to the throne because yeah. she's the lead general, right? So, oh, but wait, maybe it's... Tusa Beidou's character. Maybe she's the woman king because maybe yeah. Viola Davis's character dies in battle. Like, how is this going to happen? And then finally, at the end of the film, you realize, oh, it is Viola Davis's character. But I love the fact that, yes, the it was predictable. That part of it was predictable. But it's such a roundabout way I, well, with a I bunch truly, of realistic options that could have been another route. I, I also was doing that intellectual game of clue in my head of who could be the woman king yes. they may have misled me by the, that's right by the title and this could and, and even if it is her how is it going to happen mm-hmm. and uh and i think all those questions point to how this movie holds on to you through the entire film for sure uh because it's not obvious and you know when uh justin you mentioned that uh, viola davis's character realizes that you know this young incorrigible can't get with the program uh, child is her child. Uh, some would say 
And maybe for me at the moment, I said, predictable, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, Luke's father, you know, is Darth Vader kind of moment. But from that point on, she realizes how her daughter has come back to her, how her daughter was born, and the circumstances that brought her back to that tribe determined her general's character, what the kingdom should do to stop what they were doing, stop being complicit, and to find another way to survive as a kingdom. That moment, that tender moment of realizing that was her daughter, informed all her decisions forward from that point. So, uh, yes, well, isn't that convenient? She's the daughter that comes back, but it's so necessary, and it's beautiful. Agreed. I'd be willing to say that it wasn't necessary that it was that she was her daughter, and therefore I didn't predict it. I didn't really. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, I mean, yes. It, in retrospect, I do believe. Oh, of course, like that's a great little right. twist. But Tuso Bedu, her portrayal of the character is so powerful. It didn't matter to me if she was related to anybody. Yes. Her story, her origin story in this, how they tell it, okay, to begin yes. with, is that she was going to be, as, as was the custom, was going to be given to a husband. And when the husband, when she didn't answer the way the husband wanted and he, and he beat her, yep. she said, I will not be married to an abusive husband. And that's when the father, her adoptive father, as it turns out, takes her to the king and says, I'm giving my daughter to the king. Dumping her on you, you do with her what you mm-hmm. will. And then she has to then find her way. So that was all enough for me. I didn't need the extra twist yeah. of, well, she's Viola Davis's character's daughter. And then let's talk about that backstory. Most of the time in films, when or even in TV shows, when there's an unnecessary part, right? It's like, oh, well, he's kind of wasted time. This actually made it better. Yeah. So. It was a layer on top of a story that was already good enough for me. I, I'm just challenging the fact that I didn't think it was predictable, except in retrospect. Gotcha. In retrospect, I can, as a writer, I'm, I'm a writer, so I can see going, maybe proofing something, you know, being like, oh, you know, it'd be kind of neat as if we made her the, the, and then all of a sudden that triggers an idea, and then, and then it layers upon layers, and then it becomes even more robust. But I didn't need that as an audience goer. And to build off that, like you say, a layer, it adds another great layer to Naniska. Because yes. he's already a strong character. Yes, for sure. And yes. then it just continues on and builds that character even more by adding that element because it brings it full circle to why she wants revenge so badly on the leader of the Oyo. Viola Davis' character didn't need that twist. Uh, Tuso Bedu's character didn't need that twist, but it made everything better. But the layer it that sure it added. Is. Yes. But boy, did it work. Let's talk about some of the other performances in this movie that are not... Viola Davis, <laughs> or uh, Naui's character played by uh, Tuso Badu. I was very impressed by Lashana Lynch, who played Azogi, who is one of the Agoji warriors and kind of takes on a mentor role for little Naui. She is tough on her. She cares about her. She gives a little bit of levity that the you know movie needs at certain points in just the right spots. Her relationship to young Naui, I think is an integral part of the movie. And I think she just played that beautifully. What was great for me was seeing actors to where I probably know them more from other films like Lashana Lynch in a James Bond film or in <laughs> Dr. Strange. Sure. Yep. You know, um, 
she led a team who played Amenza, also Doctor, Doctor Strange. Strange. So seeing these familiar faces, but in a much more serious type of role, it just shows so much more breath to what their acting abilities are. It makes me appreciate them as an actor. So Izoge and Amenza, what I enjoyed about their characters as supporting roles was that they're not comedic supporting, but there were certain lines that they were given in the script that made you smile, that made yes. you break out the seriousness a little bit and make you feel like, okay, they really are human. Right. It humanized characters even more because joking like sisters were like, what's the first rule? You do what Azoga says. <laughs> yeah. And it reminded her they play on the theme, which draws that connection of sisterhood between Azoga and Nawe, which makes Azoga's death mean that much more. You feel that more of a connection and why Nawe reacts in the way she does because that was the person she made the biggest connection to. And they play it off so, so well because you do think, well, okay, maybe they're going to escape. It makes it hit so much more. And that shows also the acting chop of Tuso Beidou. The yes. range of emotions that she's able to show on screen with Lashana Lynch was absolutely incredible. And so I am very excited to see what Tuso Beidou what she does with her career because she's she's very young she's going to get way more roles and it's just, it was incredible to see some great supporting roles come through too i don't have a whole lot more to <laughs> add uh, other than the fact that i if you know we're, we're all hockey guys right so we all we all kind of make the joke sometimes <laughs> we'll see like a defenseman make a great play we're like oh there's this norris trophy highlight reel for the season yeah right that was tusa Beidou's oscar highlight reel was yeah. that one scene, it's the whole film mm-hmm. okay but that one scene is where she's she can't believe that her sister is gone and she's captivating in her emotion. It's so breathtaking. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier. Since the movie Crash, I don't think I've seen a more impactful performance. She owns the screen and there's not many people that can do that. When they're simply on screen, they captivate you and bring you in. Agreed. Uh, and take you out of the movie theater. I think it's time to score the movie, guys. Mr. Jim, tell us. <laughs> uh, I definitely was feeling all the feels that I felt for Gladiator, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, and uh, the reason I love Gladiator is that it's done by terrific actors. There is amazing action and so much complexity to what's actually happening between those characters, kind of like your favorite season of Game of Thrones, whenever that was. Mm -hmm. This movie just had it all. Yes, there was a few times where, okay, maybe the fight fight scenes were so choreographed they look like a dance number. But all the movies that I love have some elements of those things. And I am going to say it's a 9.5 for me. This is a must-see movie that uh, if you had any feelings for Black Panther and are excited about uh, you know Wakanda Forever, go see this movie. It's not the same movie, but Viola Davis has said, hey, if, if Black Panther didn't exist, this movie would not have been made. You're going to see something special. 9.5, go see it. Don't let anybody... Tilt your, you know, expectations of this movie based on seeing the trailer uh, or an agenda they have that is outside of the movie. I'll start off with my score and then explain why. 9.5 
for me as well. It's it's an incredible film. I, I tweeted out it's one of the best films I've ever seen. Someone to reply ever. It's like that's what I wrote. That's what I wrote ever. Say what I mean. Uh, because of how much I felt coming out of that, and how much it encouraged me to go and look up more, to to appreciate more, to see. Okay, it was based loosely on historical events. Let's go and learn more. Yeah, like it actually did make me as a, as an historical fiction piece. One, it made me want to go and learn. Okay, what was true, what was not, and I think that is the that is a great work right there too because. You go in thinking, okay, well, what what part of this was real? And yeah. I think most, especially if the internet was even bigger in Gladiator times or in Braveheart times, people would be doing would be doing the same thing. Okay, well, let me go see sure. who's done the work on this to see what is real and what is not. And it made me go and do more research on this too to see, okay, what can I appreciate from this film to separate it from the history that it's associating itself with? What truly happened? Because so much does not get taught in school. It's true. So much doesn't get taught in school. So I've put it upon myself like i need to go learn so i can talk about this a little bit more too so i wanted to go and learn more about what this was based on if any of the other characters were real on this who was real who was not real what about the kingdom was real how much of the slave trade was real i wanted to learn and know more not just so we could talk about it on the show but so that i could have that general knowledge yeah of this because so i could talk to other people or help inform other people that may not know that's upon me to have to do that, to want to learn more, to tell a story. Because while it is historical fiction, it is upon the viewer to look up more, to look and see what is real, what is not, and not just think that everything you're being told is true. You have to go and watch the film, and then you need to learn more so you can be very well-versed in this, because it is not something we learn about in school unless you are going for African history in right. college it's an you elective are, and, yeah you are yeah. not going to learn about this in your typical u.s history class because the united states will loosely mention was very much a part yeah of what the dahomey kingdom was 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 doing so what you're not taught you just taught africa overall right. and there's so many kingdoms that existed so it is upon you and i say this to people listening or probably like you're preaching the choir man I'm like well i want you to get fired up Yep. To watch it and then continue to educate people on it as well, too. That is upon you to go and do that as the listeners. Go well. to varied resources. We've mentioned a few of these already. Gladiator, Braveheart, JFK. These are movies that are historical fiction or based on true events, yeah. but are not an actual retelling of the story letter for letter. Into the Wild is another example. Yeah. Valkyrie is another example. Straight out of Compton is another example. So yeah. I don't want to hear anybody, well, it's not this. Get that BS out of here. Second thing about that, though, is I do want to say one of my pet peeves, even though I'm guilty more often than I'd like, is going into a film with expectations. I don't like watching a trailer and then being like, that movie's going to be crap. And then going into the theater, I hate that because I feel like I'm not giving it its purest, right? Like, even if it's great, which has right. happened, uh, I mean, you know, but it's, and, and the opposite has happened also. This is going to be great. And I get in there and it's just horrible. So everything has happened across the board. I hate that I set expectations for myself. So one of my pet peeves is don't set expectations. The problem with this film is if you did see it, the trailer, and you're like, I'm going to go see this, or it, it, it piques my interest. They did say that based on a true story, based on true events, and that yeah. sets your expectation up for something that it is not. For more accuracy than the movie not did not set out to do. Right. And I think that is a big, big problem. Okay. so uh, So just be aware of that. 
Acting, a 10 out of 10. The story is a 7 out of 10. Sets and costumes are 8 out of 10. The emotion is 7.5. And, and the engagement, my engagement with the film was a 9. Break it all the way down, it's an 8.5 for me. I thought it was a phenomenal film, but I, I, I didn't feel, I, I didn't fight back tears mm-hmm. at any point of the film. And I, didn't, I didn't have a range of emotions. I was engaged. Now, don't get me wrong. I was engaged in the film. Right. I was engaged in the performances. I've already said Tuso Beidou is my Oscar winner for Best Actor. I mean, she's just tremendous. So I was engaged in the film, and I was fully immersed in it. But there was never a time where, uh, you know, uh, a, a character was killed or, you know, or, or captured. And I was like, <gasps> there was never that. It was more of I was just witnessing something special. As opposed to, I'm experiencing it with the characters. So, 8.5 for me. Thank you so much for joining the Untitled Film Project podcast. Jeremy K. Gover, Justin Bradford, I'm Jim Chandler. We always include, with our reviews, the big question. So, this really unfair big question comes to us this week from Jeremy K. Gover. Guys, look. We all have our favorite types of movies, right? Yes. So whether it be comedy or action or drama or horror or you know, whatever it may be, uh, we all have our favorite genres. So take that favorite genre. Okay, now throw it out. What is the, uh, what's the, you can only watch another genre no! for the rest of your life. You cannot, you can no longer watch. Be your, honest. Yeah. You can no honest. longer watch your favorite genre anymore. What is the genre you are now watching? <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I do have a question about this though that I would like to propose to the panel before we give our answers. Okay. Like, how in the weeds are we getting with this? Because, I'm not going to be a. I'm, <laughs> because some people would argue, thanks to the MCU, just for example, some people would argue that superhero movies is its own genre. Sure. I count them as action, but I can I can hear that argument. See, yeah. I actually consider them sci-fi. Do you really? So interesting. Oh, that's interesting. So this may be subjective on what you consider the genre to yes. be. Yes. Because it yeah. has almost turned into its own genre, it is a mix of action, sci-fi, and probably a little bit of fantasy. We're going to throw it in there, too. It's got a little of everything. Okay. I wouldn't call him sci-fi, but I see where he's coming from. But okay. I mean, so I guess certain elements, I know we're diving into the weeds right off the bat. That's all right. But let's certain elements, establish these things first. Certain elements of superhero yeah. could be considered sci-fi more than others. Like, I think well, Doctor sure. Strange is more fantasy Whereas Iron Man, more sci-fi. I don't know about that. I say Guardians but, of the Galaxy might be a better absolutely. That's a example, better example of sci-fi. But, but there's elements that Iron Man battles against that could make it into... Like, that's where I think there's well, that's so much like overlap, saying, right? That's like saying True Lies is a I'll comedy. i say Shrek for a second. No. That's like saying <laughs> True Lies is a comedy. It's like, yeah, there's comedic elements in it, but it's an action movie. Sure. Okay, okay. Essentially. Yeah. So what is it essentially, I guess, is what you're I asking. Think it's whatever we consider it. Yeah. I don't want to be an, I don't want to be an ass about it. Uh, too late. But I think that <laughs> but I think that <laughs> super, like donkey. superhero movies stick to Shrek are not its own. That's what I'm trying to get at. Okay. I, I don't I don't I don't want to go down that in the weeds. I'd like to just as okay. a blanket statement. Well, I'll explain myself when we get to me. Sounds good. Jimmy, right. you go first. What do you think uh, we all explain ourselves when we get to ourselves? Sure. That good. I am a sucker for sci-fi and I truly think it's gotta be science fiction uh a lot more than a superhero movie. Okay, uh, if I'm going to get into a subgenre, I really love it's uh, 
artificial intelligence or robots or androids okay. and the question of whether they are sentient and whether they have rights. I love those movies. But I do love sci-fi in general, whether it be Star Wars, Arrival, all these different movies. Uh, I, I would watch them. They're my default. They're my comfort zone. Uh, so to throw that away is like throwing away my blankie. So I hate you for that. This vexed me so much because I'm like, okay, well, then there's everything else. And all at once, once. (laughs) everything, everywhere, all at once. Uh, So I had to say, okay, if I have to pick something that really doesn't have any elements of sci-fi that I would have to watch for the rest of my life, I think it would be suspense thriller movies. And they don't necessarily have to be action like a James Bond movie, but, you know, I will watch a Cold War spy thriller movie. the art of spy craft, uh, you know, uh, take the Bourne movies without the action, uh, you know, trying to figure out who's at the heart of the conspiracy and are you, you know, under threat from that conspiracy. So suspense thrillers would have to be uh, my second favorite genre, but uh, it's a distant one. Okay. Bradford, okay. what is your answer, sir? So and your explanation. Well, no, like I said, I'll explain myself because I I I wanted to make this more of a challenge on myself. That's fair. Okay, I appreciate that. Yes, because I wanted to really approach the question as what do I know are my favorites that I'm typically over, and typically those are superhero movies and Star Wars. What was that? (laughs) Superhero movies more than anything else. It's MCU. (laughs) Anyone who knows me knows I'm an MCU stan. Okay, yes, yeah, unapologetically. Yeah, so. While there isn't necessarily a category that's a superhero, I fall those into sci-fi for some reason. That's right. just right. my over... So sci-fi is my favorite. So I have to get rid of sci-fi. Yes. Which encompasses a lot of things, like Interstellar. Sure. It's obviously one of, one of my favorites. Um, it depends on what you consider Star Wars, I guess. Sci-fi or fantasy. Depends on, you know, what we find. Um Moonfall, an awful, god-awful movie that just came out on HBO Max. Dear God, I wasted two hours of my time on that piece of trash. You'll never get it back. Nope. That's sci-fi. Even though... <laughs> yes. Well, there are bad examples of every. Oh, God, is it awful Amen sci-fi. Amen to that, sir. Awful, awful sci-fi. But I'm, I'm a sucker for space. I'm a sucker for the what-ifs. I'm a sucker for things being based on reality while just pushing the envelope a little bit, that's sci-fi, right? Sure. All those types of things. I really enjoy this movie. So I have to get rid of that, thanks to Gover. So then I'd live with fantasy. When I consider fantasies like Lord of the Rings. Okay. Labyrinth. Princess Bride. Willow. Willow. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) I triggered him. I apologize. No, don't apologize. (laughs) But fantasy. Visibly excited. Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah. The Harry Potter films. You know, all those types of things that you're very much separated, I think, from science fiction that you're living in in fantasy, and especially like Lord of the Rings. I'm yeah. I'm enjoying watching Rings of Power and just how they're exploring this new. It's building a makeup world. I love those types of things where you're developing a whole new world and a different universe. The rest of my life, if I could not watch sci-fi, I could be very happy watching fantasy because for me, my imagination is very important and the creativity behind things and seeing new worlds be explored. I could hundred percent live with that without having the sci-fi overlap um, for the rest of my life. If I, if I had to choose. All right. Very good. Now to the guy who inflicted this question upon us with much pain, 
Jeremy K. Gover, what is your favorite? Okay, genre? so it was an interesting. I actually had a tiebreaker: action movies and comedy. Okay, and I the tiebreaker because I looked at my iTunes and how many I own three hundred and something movies. Wow. So that's yeah, that's it. So I had to do a tiebreaker, <laughs> and what came up most was comedy. I own the more comedies, but then I decided that's too easy. So I'm going to remove both genres. Okay, because it's too close. Sure. Okay. Tommy Boy, Christmas Vacation, Ace Ventura, Happy Gilmore, Best in Show, Swingers, Spy, Groundhog Day, The Mask, Slapshot, Clueless. These are all great comedies that I love so much I'll, I'll watch all the time, okay? Action movies. All, the entire Mission Impossible set, except for two, two sucks. Yeah, the entire Mission Impossible <laughs> saga, Terminator 2, True Lies, Face Off. I just love, I can sit down, John Wick, I can, I can sit down and watch an action movie in the background and, and be just as content. So therefore, all that being said, uh, I'm going to go documentary. I like this twist. because I, you mentioned Spycraft earlier, like the making spy. Wow. I love watching spy, like, but not not like like made up stuff is fine and it's fun. But I absolutely love watching documentaries on how Spycraft is done. I love watching documentaries on how ILM yes. uh, Industrial Light and Magic does what they do, what how they how they started. I love watching. Uh, there's a notorious Big and Tupac. Biggie documentary called Murder Rap. I watch it at least once a year. The Michael Jackson This Is It documentary where he was chronicling with all the backstage foot, all the rehearsal footage before he went to over to London. And of course, he died a few days before he was going to do, go do those shows. Yeah. But they made that into a documentary, probably to recoup some of the cost. I literally watch that on every flight I'm ever on. My answer is documentary. It's a great answer, and I it's making me reconsider. I'll still stick, I'm not reconsidering. I'll There's still no stick way. with mine, but you know, you've given me but, pause for thought. But Mr. Gover, while earlier in the show, says I don't read, but he watches. To I learn. do watch. Okay, so he'll learn, that's the way he's going to consume his learning. Yep. Which commend him. Because there's yes. somebody out there that doesn't do either. Because at least I'm learning. And they're just dumb as a pile of rocks. <laughs> uh, but uh, Mr. Gover here will true. watch a documentary to learn. And we just heard the various topics from spies to space to, sports? to rap. To sports, <laughs> I mean, to sports music. and everything. Yeah. So Summer I of Soul you. is a documentary that came out last year that you know was just phenomenal about an event that happened the same summer as Woodstock and possibly way more... Uh, influential mm -hmm. on music that nobody knew about because the footage was gone and somebody found it in a in a closet somewhere and it was an entire summer music festival in New York City and it you know the academy rightly praised this amazing documentary so i love that you picked documentaries documentaries are great they are awesome for learning if anybody tells you an audiobook is not reading they're lying Talk to an educational professional, mm -hmm. and they will tell you you're just taking it in in a different way. So, uh, good job, gold star for the Thank student so that is Jeremy and K. Hey, Gover. If not for documentaries, we wouldn't know what someone would be willing to do for a case of water at a festival. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I think I can out nerd you guys. I watched and loved a documentary about the typeface Helvetica. Nerd! No, I love Super me some nerd. fonts, dude. I love that's good stuff. It changed like so much. What's it called? It's called Helvetica. That's what it's called. <laughs> of course it is. Why not even ask that? <laughs> Comic Sans presents Helvetica. <laughs> <laughs> no.
This is the Untitled Film Project podcast with Jeremy K. Gover, Justin Bradford, and Jim Chandler. We've talked about The Woman King, a movie we all thought was pretty terrific. And uh, with scores of 9.5, 9.5, and 8.5, you know it's probably doing pretty well in, in our eyes. We hope it will be uh, just as exciting for you. We've also talked about the big question, which is if you had to get rid of your favorite genre of movie and you had to pick a second favorite, and that would be the only thing you could watch... That brought up some very interesting topics of conversation. We want to know, what do you think is your favorite? You know, be honest with yourself. What's your favorite genre? Toss it out. And then what do you pick? <laughs> it's a really tough question. It is tough. It was harder than I thought it was going to be when I came up with the question. <laughs> major props on that one. No, yeah, thank you. But I loved thing. it. Uh, social media, we are all over it. Justin Bradford, tell everybody yeah. how they can interact. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, Untitled Film Project. If you also go to any of our profiles there, it has the links to all the different places you can listen to us. So, hey, if you don't like listening on this one thing, then you can listen to us on another thing. Or you can just watch and listen on YouTube. So you can find us all over the place, Untitled Film Project Podcast. And hey, the Nashville Film Festival is coming up. We're going to have plenty of coverage on our personal socials, yes. on Untitled Film Project, on the podcast, all over the place because we all have different interests what we want to soak in from the film fest so we're going to have you covered from all different things from tennessee filmmakers to ones that are premiering to all different workshops that are taking place we want to make sure that you are just up to date with everything going on at the film fest because i'm very excited it's my first one uh go over i'm sure it's your first one too same here all right so it's gonna uh, be exciting and this is the 53rd (laughs) nashville film festival so i mean this has been going on for so long it's about time we shed a light on something that's pretty cool Thank you for listening to the Untitled Film Project podcast. To support the show, please rate, review, follow, and subscribe. Original music by Jeremy Schwartz. Special thanks to the Music City Film Critics Association. Editing and post-production by Jeremy K. Gover. Voiceover by Chad Bennett. The Untitled Film Project podcast is presented in cooperation with iHeartRadio.